another interview. This time it's from Eddie de Santiago with the folks over at Hexworks making Lords of the Fallen. The creative director Cesar Vertosu and Sao Gascon, head of studio and executive producer on Lords of the Fallen. Let's take a look as they talk about the beautiful new environments, the pairing, and the wide world that they've created. All right, so uh, Caesar, Cesar, it's pronounced in Romanian, Virtosu, which is V-I-R-T-O-S-U, and the creative director, but I'm not very unfortunate. So, uh, my name is Saul Gascon, G-A-S-C-O-N, and Saul, like better call Saul, um, and uh, I'm the uh, head of studio and executive producer for the game. So, my first question is, what is it about the original Lords of the Fallen that you felt made it worth revisiting? So, the um, basically, the Lords 1, or the original one, left a, let's see, a, a set of solid foundations, right, in the, you know, the universe, some of the NPCs, right? So, um, but it also had its, its uh, let's say, its, uh, its issues, right? In terms of the combat pacing. And so basically what we did when we took the, the, when we thought of, okay, how we can do a, a sequel or a reboot to this, right? We started as a sequel, to be very honest with you. And then we said, okay, how can we do a, situ- a sequel? What do we need to improve, right? So we jumped down into all the feedback from press, players, on Steam community, Reddit, uh, Everywhere, right? Like we read, read all the reviews, everything. Then we kind of came up with a kill list. We're like, okay, Faster Combat was one of them, right? And a possibility to create different characters, right? Not just playing with one set character. So we took all of those. And then we said, okay, how can we build, like, from the foundations on the first, right? To fix all these, let's say, improvements that people was asking for, right? So at the end, we ended up changing so many things in, in, in the core. And that's why we call it a reboot. Right, because yeah. we change the graphics, we change the the combat pacing. So now you can be a slow fuck as well, right? You you know you can go with a big armors, like a huge weapon, like like this. But it's your choice now, right? So you can choose either be like very fast, very quick, two knives, or uh, you know like super slow, the big hammer or whatever you want, right? All right. Well, were there any aspects about the original game that you wanted to include or that you felt you needed to avoid? Yeah. Well, everything. We took the first game in its entirety, including certain armors, beliefs, things that they mentioned on paper, the lands of Ebb. We made them real. They mentioned uh, the, the heroes of yore, the judges of Smota Deer. Boom, we make them real. <laughs> we took everything, ex- but expanded tenfold. Because once we made their mythos playable and real, we just opened the so, uh, because we wanted to create the worlds of the fallen, we wanted to tell stories, small stories, big stories, epic journeys, lands of misery, hope, permeated by religion, belief in this ominous resurrection of God and how it affects people and how madness reaches you if when you're influenced by gods, because the gods mm. are massively important to our lore. So we... We, yeah, we were incredibly faithful. And people who play the first game and enjoyed the stories and the characters will eat well in Lords of the Fallen. It's not an entirely different game. And there is a couple of surprises that we're not going to spoil, but there is some NPCs <clears throat> that, uh, that are actually uh, related very closely to the first game. 
Um, so armor, armor weapons. Armor weapons. Faction. Uh, yeah, and in terms of factions, indeed, we ha like in this one, you have like three main factions, right? The Radiance uh, or Radiant faction, followers of Orius, which is mentioned in a in some lore. Um, let's say pieces of the first game, right? So we took that and, as Cesar said, made it real, expanded, show it to you. Hey, these are the Radiant people, right? These are the Adir followers, the demons, let's say. And we added a third faction, Umbra, uh, which is, uh, you know, they have their own god as well, more like Cthulhu, that's crazy. The, that's a dark secret that people, if they dig deep enough in the game, they will discover. What is the nature of Umbra? Surely it can't be just a spooky place. Must be something. But, but we have cameos from the first game as well, for sure. Uh, some are like the same characters, right? That just appear again. Uh, how they can survive 1,000 years? Well, you, you, you will see it when you play. And then, um, and then as well, uh, like as we say, like the clerics, for instance, the three, the three judges that defeated other in the first space. On an, on an armor real. in the first game, it was said that the sons of Medusa, they turned to stone. So now we have a character from those lands. She she has a name. You find her petrified, mm -hmm. and she's explained to you what's got. So that's how we took the lore and we okay, let's play this. Let's stop talking about it. Let's play it. Let's see how it looks. Uh, exactly. At the end, is we have a very good foundation. We took it, respected, and expanded. Okay, my next question is, Souls-like are a genre that many players gravitate towards because the key part of these games is growing stronger and taking down enemies and bosses that initially seemed impossible. As players grow stronger in their single-player journey, how do you balance that growth when they jump into multiplayer, both cooperative and PvP? Like, how do you go from being an unstoppable god-killer to someone who dies because they got parried a few times in a row? Well, actually, for that, we've, we've developed, uh, developed several systems, right? So when you play in co-op, we always... Uh, leverage the levels of players so for instance if i would join in you and i'm like end game like at level 90 and you're like level i don't know 20 uh, my character is going to set at level 20 in, in terms of damage output and etc so then this way i don't ruin your game you know i don't come in and just one hit like hey look how funny it is yeah right so that's one thing and then for pvp we do the same we also leverage the two players right usually it's the invader that gets uh, usually better <laughs> sorry but, uh, like usually are, uh, are uh, they always find the ways to, to fuck around with people, right? So then uh, uh, we have that system uh, in which basically when they come in, we check their damage output and then we leverage it to yours, right? So then even if they try to find exploit, we kind of uh, leverage it down. So it's always a fair fight and it's just about skill, basically. For, for the bosses themselves, they're 100% skill soft gates but uh, they're all we left weaknesses mm. that you can spot with the lambs the reddish areas where they take a lot of damage and some of them have unique mechanics a lot of them are you very weak to parry some of them are can you can uh, deplete the posture of a limb that opens the opens them up for a critical hit that is devastating so if you can brute force them but if you're struggling with the boss, it's worth looking in Umbral. Is there a parasite mm. that gives this boss a poison attacks? Yes. You, Luigi mentioned, you suck the parasite out, no more poison attacks. Oh. So we, we give the players tools to mitigate danger, but this plays into our desired gameplay paradigm that we have this detective work. 
you've seen it you know you have kind of have a look around maybe this is this is this is, so you can brute force it but if you look around you will find you ways to mitigate them yeah, and, and of course you always have the the let's say that the, the resort of you know going back to previous areas grind your level up right collect some bigger uh, level up and then get easier yeah. get a friend random and, and the rpg um, mechanics are very important to us so actually every boss has weaknesses to specific let's say poison or uh, radiant magic so even if you're not a magic user or a poison user right you can always find or buy from from vendors uh, like something that boosts your weapon with radiant damage right so you find an enemy haha he's weak to radiance but i'm not a magician i still can go put some radiant oil on my sword right and now i'll see the health you know going down faster right? but so, that they're tough they're tough they're, they're always tough. tough they're not they're not push over or at least we hope they're not but we give you a lot of basically our goal was to give people a lot of uh, tools or ways to approach the challenges we put on right it is always going to be an optimal one right that's what you want to find in wikis right like you know, to beat this boss use this oil and uh, and call this helper and do this and that use range attack it's a free win or yes. range attack. that's true that's true so going off of that, another trademark of the genre is a parry system. And I like how you implemented yours, especially how you can parry, like, even with a spear. How did you build that system up? And how even after you wear down their posture, you still have to break it with, like, a special attack. Uh, how did you come up with that? Well, um, honestly, we're all players, yeah? We, we saw that the first game's the parry system was not overly um, used. And people didn't get engaged with. And uh, very early on, very early on for the onset, we, we said, okay, how we can make this more fluid, more in the ebb and flow, not press a button and high win, high reward, because we need... So we came up with this setup where you last moment block. So even if you fail the, the timing, there's a chance that you can still block. Hmm. And this and this led to the whole, like you said, the posture system. Yeah. And kind of, well, we, we, we like this. Oh, this feels so good. And it allows you to get these near miss and near near parries, and you feel like a, a god of the sword. Mm, yeah, but also that's why we added also the withering on your health. Yes, when yeah. you only block, right? So if you miss, you still get a bit penalized. Like, oh, bad boy, you should parry better, right? Yeah. But we don't use, as he said, like a black or white parry or death. Right? You can like, get your HP back, exactly. so you can fire. Okay, half my HP is withered. But I can get it back. And the cool thing is with this system that, that Cesare is explaining, right, is that like if you are a parry type of player, right, more like games, more fast games like Bloodborne or other things like this, right, you just use uh, two swords or whatever weapon is your poison, right, and just parry, 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 bam, bam, bam. so very fast, very quick. And uh, but if you are like more of a tank player, like big armor, big shield, huge hammer, you can still do it, right? Like you just you know turtle yourself, you get hit. You get your health like withered, but then you deliver one massive blow to you recover it all at once, right? So the, the, this was probably one of the things that we, from the beginning, we knew what we wanted, as Cesar said, but we iterated a lot to, you know, like tweak it so it supports all playstyles. So you can play the game full parrying, or you can play the game full tur turtling, and we, we, we support both. We it's, worth, both. it's worth mentioning that in our game, because of the withered mechanic and how easy it is, uh, we are not, we're not, the 100% the protection shield are not predominant, like in other games, mm. like in, you know, your Dark Souls and other games. So, 
because we want to engage with the with the, I'm I'm blocking I'm getting my stuff back but we do have 100% protection shields Okay that actually brings me to my next question so there are nine classes to pick from in the game and how do you how do you keep them all fun and viable You want to take some Yeah I think that the the it's it's how you build the, all the RPG systems and mechanics and the combat mechanics right so basically whenever we add a new feature right whether is it a ranged mechanic like how you interpret it in combat or is like the parrying or the, the blocking it's always keeping into mind like the different uh, different play style that we want to support right so those nine classes are a, are a rough representation of the different play styles you can have in the game right then after that you have you can unlock new classes depending on the ending that you do um uh, but those are more like deep into one play style like one is a for instance, like full in uh, Rogar um, Warlord, right? So it's like the big mace and a lot of fire everywhere, right? Yeah. Another one is a radiant one, so pro- about protection, range, combat. Uh, another one is an, an umbral, an umbral uh, assassin, let's say, right? So the the basically, it, it's it's not easy, but it's like every time you do a class, you need to have all the systems supporting that class, right? So and behind this is the the thematics and the fantasies, the tropes. Mm. Like you're the knight, I'm the assassin, I'm the killer, I'm the hunter. So we have to cater mm. to these fantasies as well. And basically the loadout writes itself. <laughs> How do you balance the gameplay for newcomers to the genre without losing the difficulty that veterans are looking for? Well, this is, this is the big question, right? You have an incredibly challenging game. When we started 40, nearly 40, four years ago, three years and a half, um, the market was not as broad, so we were still making a niche game, and we wanted to over-deliver for the niche audience. We didn't want to. We learned the sins of the past. We need. We need. But then again, Elden Ring came in and opened the audience. So now the questions are: How do we bring these people in? So, several ways. I'm not going to go through all of them. Saul can pick up one. But one of the biggest for us was onboarding. As in, make a lengthy tutorial. You saw all the village, everything. Make a lengthy tutorial. Have a playground to play. Uh, explain the mechanics relentlessly. Have players express them and then let them out into the world. Because the moment the players step outside the hub, the real, the real game begins. Yeah, so in that regard, the, it's never easy, right? So what we've heard is a lot of playtests. So that's something that is very important for us. The way that we work is that internally we have uh, the group of directors, right? Which is our as creative, but we also have an art director, an animation director, uh, a lighting director. And uh, what we do is that internally we work what we call in strike teams. So then uh, we have a, a team for um, player player combat, another one for AI, another one for bosses, right? Why I'm explaining you this, you, you will see. So then the the thing is that they work in a, in sprints, like in two weeks, right? And they deliver prototypes slash more polished things, right? It depends on the stage. Um, and then we check with the directors, like, okay, in a good direction, not, it should be changed, etc. But also, uh, this is like uh, who watches the watchers, like in Watchmen, you know? So uh, who watches the directors? So it's players, right? So what we do is that on every every month, we've, we did, uh, we've done, uh, we're still doing, um, uh, play tests with players or with uh, you know mock reviewers etc. So external people that has no attachment to us, like they don't care about us. You know what I mean? They are not uh, polluted by our day to day. 
Exactly, they're not biased. And, and that helps us a lot, right? Because we saw a lot of things like, oh shit, we thought this was easy, but you know, new, new players to the genre, they don't understand. Okay, let's explain it. Is it enough in the tutorial? Yes. No. Okay, if it's not, what do we do? So then we've, uh, we've worked a lot on, on those, uh, basically on uh, some of the features we've modified just to be able to, for people to understand. One, like, I'm going to give you one key example. is uh, In, in uh, Lords of the Fallen, you can create your own bonfires, right? Your uh, vestiges. So you raise those vestige uh, seedlings to create your, your thing. So our original intent was to only have one uh, old or ancient vestige in the whole game, right? In the hub. That's it. One for free. One. And then that's the one for free, exactly. And then everything else you had to build up. For us, it was like, oh, this is amazing, you know? With and, rare resources. You yeah. don't make a seedling, whatever. No. Yeah. Talk with, a guy yeah. knows a guy. He's going to give you a little seedling. You yeah. need four. Yeah. So the, we did that. And then we saw veteran players were like, oh, yes, you know, nipple twisted. Yeah, you know, like super happy. But then uh, when we saw the more newbies to the genre or players just, that just played Elden Ring, not any previous souls like, they were like, what the fuck is this? And we were like, oh, shit, we went too far. So we, what did we do? We, so We went too far. We went to fire. So now in the new game, you have a lot of vestiges, right? Still, is good. It's better if you use the vestige seedlings because you can put it in front of a boss room. You can put it in key locations, right? So the, your first playthrough is more catered for new players. But on NG+, when you go to NG+, this is where the real Lords of the Fallen start. The unfettered. There is only vestige. one vestige. You know, so so we're are, back at the initial plan. The new game it? plus it's going to be biblical. So then uh, if uh, you already know the levels, right? If you're an NG+, so you'll have a better time to know where to play place the vestige. Uh, but every old or ancient vestige is gone. So it's only one in the hub. So that's kind of our original vision. Right? But through playtesting to your question, right? It was too much. So it's like, okay, let's give it to veterans of our game in NG+. Right? So we made concessions. We made concessions because we are hardcore like that. <laughs> Souls likes are known for their gorgeous visuals, whether it's environments like bosses or enemies, even the weapons and like armor and magic that players can use. How do you tie that to gameplay design? And what comes first, the concept art or the gameplay? We are uh, super intertwined, right? Yeah, we are. In, we are big fans of immersion and narrative. For us, everything needs to make sense. So once you have all these concepts in carbonite, like this faction has these visual languages, we call them. It, that infects animations and everything. The designs write themselves. So when the art director comes in, he knows the nature of the Exactly what's up. Mm. Everything. So the yeah, same with the factions, with the Roga. We knew them as beasts. Jackling, struggles, and courage. So obviously, the everything writes themselves. So. We're in a very privileged position mm -hmm. in Saul. We just look at tremendous art. And for us, it's very easy to say, this is the actual good design, and this mm -hmm. is just variations. No, we just... Yeah. yeah the, the advantage of the, we have a very cohesive director team, right? So like everything kind of makes sense together, right? So it's, we didn't start from one place or another, right? We started everything at the same time from gameplay, visuals uh, and uh, we worked them in, in, in parallel tracks let's say but they always were intertwined right so like whenever 
like for instance, a designer will come with an enemy design, right? The the art director could go like, oh, wait a second, this is uh, this is a type of attack is more for this faction. So there is uh, it, yes. it is very important for us. Uh, immersion is kind of the most important thing for us, um, and uh, that's why, for instance, in this in this world, nobody cares about you, and this is a a way to give you immersion, right? Nobody comes, hey, sit here. You're the hero. We all love you. No, you don't have that here, right? It's like nobody cares about you. You are there. You can save the wall or doom it up to you. You choose a, basically you can choose a, any of the endings that you want that you want to achieve, and it will depend on with whom with, of those NPCs uh, you align with, right? So if you align with somebody Rogar, you're gonna get towards the Rogar ending, right? If you align with the Umbral guys, you're gonna get to the Umbral ending. Or if you follow the canon ending, right, which is um, following what the Dan Meyer, the, the the guy in the intro, right, with uh, the, the big hat and the big stick, um, so you will find then you will then do the the, the, the radial ending, the, like the canon one. One one big advantage of having all this lore and all these stories of these characters written or otherwise present before any visuals come in is that we can incorporate in the visuals very background information yep. one random example we have a car or a grave digger yeah and has pock marks on his face that is because he used to be in an iron maiden because he used to be a knight in the order and he was tortured savagely he lost his mind and now he tends to the tombs to other knights he will never say that I used to be hmm. this guy. So, but it's in his body, his body posture. And a lot of the NPCs, uh, the visual language and the clothes designs will tell you secrets that they themselves won't admit. And suddenly when you hear the dialogue, the bitterness, everything clicks into place. Hmm. So doing our work early on, agreeing, shaking hands, this is what we want, this character is this archetype and this, and then art comes in, and they have so many tools that they can render, they have so many things to work with. How is he? What's his script? Where's the, the skin flower? Because the story makes the character, not the other way.